Hello, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F. as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on page 24, paragraph 1. We will be reading and commenting on that first paragraph only on page 24, which begins with, the fact is that most alcoholics and ends with, without defense against the first drink. Today's readers are Sandy C. from Massachusetts, Sam S. from Rhode Island, Katie D. from Massachusetts, and Crystal P. from Canada. Let's see here. This meeting is being recorded, and the recording share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, December 21st, 2020, are 16,032 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. That's 16032 and 16,033 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. That's 16033. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sandy C. from Massachusetts to read the OA 12 steps. Hi, uh, Sandy, recovered, very grateful in Massachusetts. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, <clears throat> excuse me, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Sandy C. I will now ask Sam S. from Rhode Island to read the OA-12 Traditions. Hey, Rebecca, good morning. Thank you. This is Sam S., compulsive reader in Rhode Island. <clears throat> One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, accepted matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these principles, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Sam S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, and we are in chapter 24, uh, geez, typo, chapter 2. <laughs> uh, hmm, I have a little typo here. We're in chapter 2, but we're on page 
24, and it's paragraph one. We will be reading and commenting on that first paragraph only on page 24, which begins with, the fact is that most alcoholics and ends with, without defense against the first drink. I will now ask Katie G to go ahead and read that for us. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for letting me step in at the last minute to do some service. Katie G recovered a compulsive eater in Boston. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are out without defense against the first bite drink, sorry. So I find this so interesting because it really does fly in the face of many of the messages that I heard in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous when I was growing up. So, you know, I thought I heard, um, think the bite through, um, you know, remember your last bite, keep it green. Um, and this is, and then I, and then I can choose to eat and I can choose to not to eat. This paragraph is in squiggly writing, and I have been taught that the squiggly writing was more expensive in the time that the big book was published, so I got to pay attention. I have no power, I have no choice, and I have no control. I can't choose to eat, I can't choose not to eat. And what I've been taught too, like, and I think it's important, I want to name again, I, I caught alcoholism, I caught food addiction in studying this book. I've always had the disease, but I didn't understand it to the depths that I do today, thank God, and, and I hope I continue to learn more every day. But when I went into my first relapse, I literally thought I chose to eat. This paragraph is telling me I'm not choosing to eat. I can't bring into sufficient, into my mind, the, the pain and suffering. And I have to let you know that even if I could, I don't deny it. I'm not in denial. The first 164 pages don't say denial. I'm in delusional thinking, and here's what it sounds like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds. This time, I got it. This time, because I just, and I didn't want to deal with thoughts about tomorrow morning. I was like, tomorrow morning be darned. Like, it doesn't even matter. I have no power, no choice, no control. I am driven. And I have to say, the relapse for me starts with being disconnected from God. And here's what it sounds like. I'm judging all of you. I'm um, taking a place on a pedestal in a 12-step program that I don't belong on, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm falling short on my daily disciplines of step 10, 11, and 12. It's really easy to say as a recovered woman, I'm living in step 10, 11, and 12. But am I really? Am I really looking at whenever I'm disturbed, it's about me and not the other person? Am I really doing inventory? Am I really humbling myself and asking people for spiritual considerations that are uncomfortable to hear? You know, am I really, really going to God? Am I asking him to remove it? Am I really helping others? And am I really practicing the principles in all my affairs? Because it is so easy to go backward through the steps. And by the time I get into that delusional thinking, I'm not choosing to eat. I am operating against a mind that wants me dead. By the time I get into that thinking, I can't 
hear God. And all I can hear is the voice of, you got it. You can go into the ring. It's just flour. It's just sugar. It's just bulimia. You got it this time. And thank God, I don't got it this time. Please, God, help me stay humble. Help me set aside everything I think I know about this disease and keep learning and growing and changing. Because if I don't grow, I'm going to go. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Katie G. from Boston, Massachusetts. Now, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you would like to share on the first paragraph on page 24 in the big book, the fact is through the first drink, please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Tina S. Wait a second. The person, wait a minute. Let's just get the person whose last initial is S. Who was that? Or maybe it was S. Oh, geez. Maybe I didn't hear right at all. Let's try again. Who wants to give it a shot? Tina S. Oh, Tina S. I'll bet it was you, Tina. Thank you. Lauren okay. M. I think I think I heard Joe Joe Ann. Did I did I and I know I get that name. Christina J. Liz S. Christina J. Wait a Teresa minute. Teresa P. Crystal Was it a Crystal Liz? P. Crystal. Yes, Liz S. S. Okay, Crystal P. Okay, Rick let, J. let me tell you who I Rick J. Okay, let me tell you who I wrote down. Tina S. Lauren N. I'm pretty sure Joe Ann and I don't remember the initial. Christina J, Liz S, Crystal P, Rick J. If you said your name and I missed it, you could try again. Ginger C. Ginger C and Penny C. And was there another name that tried to get in already that I didn't catch? Really? Teresa P. Teresa P. Okay. All right. That's kind of a long list, but I wanted to be as fair as possible. So uh, we've got Tina S., Lauren N., Joe on something, Christina J., Liz S., Crystal P., Rick J., Ginger C., Penny C., and Teresa P. So Tina S., it is your turn. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Well, what a great paragraph, and I like that it was talked about that this is a telesize, and we had to pay extra for this. So, yeah, and let's pay attention. Now, let's pay attention. And the first thing I see is, for reasons yet obscure, because I'm a great forgetter. I have a great forgetter. You know, in the, in the depths of the disease, the day or the night of, the day after, I am never doing this again, you know, misery. And, uh, and, and then in the day, you know, I'm feeling a little better. You know, hey, maybe it wasn't that bad. You know, I could probably try it again. You know, that's that's my experience. And over and over and over, as it tells me, and I think it's page 66, 67 rather, self-reliance failed us over and over. You know, and it tells me that, you know, we're on a different basis now in order for this thing to work. You know, trust and rely on God because, you know, the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago where without defense against the first drink. And sorry if you hear the dog in the background's mine. <laughs> you know, and 
that is so me on my own because I have tried over and over. You know, I can't do this thing. You know, I cannot do this thing, but we can. You know, and on page 45, it tells me that lack of power is my dilemma. It tells me exactly that. Lack of power is my dilemma. No defense. None. You know, and then it gives me, you know, specific instructions, directions on what, how do I find this power? You know, and the the big book pages, one, um, the first 164 pages are how we do it, you know. And, and how I do this is finding a power bigger than me, which will solve all my problems, you know, and and because I become empowered by that power, and 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 the only way that that happens for me, and it was just so lovely shared, is by working the twelve steps. You know, I've tried it every other way. I wanted it to be anything else, but but the good news is, one day at a time, I stay free. I stay free uh, by practicing these principles in all my affairs to the best of my ability. You know, from morning till night. And then I can lay my head on the pillow at night, being free from this disease of food addiction. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. And if you have a dog, you might want to check and see if you're unmuted by mistake. Um, Lauren N. Thank you. That was my dog. I'm muting now. <laughs> Tina, it was Tina's dog. Oh, I thought you were... Um, saying that it wasn't your dog. I gotcha. Thank you. Lauren N. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, fellow visionaries. Lauren N. from New York. And grateful to be here this morning. Um, Boy, Katie, you really said it. No power, no choice, no way. Absolutely none. I did not believe I had this disease. I didn't. I thought you were all nuts. Then I realized I was more nuts than anyone. I was here, you know, back in this. uh, I walked into my first OA meeting probably in the 70s, walked out. Walked in again in the 80s, walked out. Walked again in the 90s and then 2000 and 2000s and finally came back in crawling at after having had my second bariatric surgery and was in the process of gaining my weight back over 100 pounds again thank god i no longer have sizes 32 30 28 all the way down to 16 in my closet I am now a size 8 or 10 and I wear the same size season to season I can't believe it what the heck did it to me or did it for me it is definitely not me thank you thank you thank you for helping me find my higher power Helping me find my it, which is what I call it. Helping me find a way around my brain because my brain is broken. I think I can just have one, even though I know in my innermost self that there is no way I can have one ever again. 
I hold on to that belief every day. Because you guys remind me, thank you so much for reminding me every single day of my life I would be dead by now. I had diabetes. I was giving myself four shots of de- a day. I no longer have diabetes. I weigh less today than I ever did, and I'm 61 years old and have more life in me today than I did when I crawled in these rooms eight, seven, eight years ago. Thank you so much for helping me find my it and for helping me. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. from New York. Johan M. from Sweden. I think I finally have got it by George. Yes, hi. This is uh, Johan M. from Sweden, uh, Fallen in Sweden. Thank you so much for your service, Rebecca, and thanks everybody that has shared so far. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, this is just an amazing paragraph and so important. And it tells me that I have, I have lost the choice and uh, I am completely powerless. And uh, coming into OA, and OA was really the last house on the block, I had recovered from other addictions through working through the steps in Big Book with a sponsor. And I was living in step 10, 11, and 12 coming into OA. Uh, but uh, that was to no use, no use at all coming into way, at all. Uh, and uh, to begin with, when I when I first came to way, I, I started to work the steps. I had a sponsor, but I was working my program. I had not put the food down completely, so I didn't have a first step experience. And that's what I need. And this paragraph reminds me how important the first step is that the first step must be like cemented in me before anything can happen at all. And uh, going out and coming back again, I could really see this and I really had a first step experience where I saw that I was completely powerless over food. And I I put the food down. I started working the steps with a sponsor like my hair was on fire. And through that, I uh, had a spiritual experience where Overnight, the obsession was lifted from me. And today I get to live one day at a time as a recovered compulsive overeater, which is a complete miracle. And it's all thanks to this program, uh, all thanks to, this, to these meetings, to, uh, to good sponsorship, and that I, I get to sponsor, uh, sponsor in a way as well, to help, help other guys through this, through this uh, program. And what the steps have done for me is that uh, today I get to live abstinent one day at a time. I don't have to hold on to my abstinence. I'm not white knuckling it anymore. And uh, I mean, today uh, we are coming on to Christmas here and I can, I can bake uh, gingerbread cookies with my daughter. Uh, we have boxes of chocolate at home that we are gonna give away as, as gifts. And it doesn't bother me at all. I'm completely neutral today. And I never thought this could be, could be possible. Before I was, uh, you know, we couldn't have anything that uh, contained sugar or flour or, or any carbs at all at home. 
I just went through the cupboard, I went through the fridge, I just ate it all. And uh, today I get to live, uh, today, today I get to live in complete freedom. So I'm so grateful for that. And this is going to be hopefully my second abstinence Christmas. And it's not all about food anymore. It's about relationships mm. with other people. It's about family. And it's about, yeah, just a lot of things, but not just the food. And it's just, uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so grateful and happy and uh, for for this and for this meeting that wish and that has, you know, that is giving such power. And uh, last Sunday we started a Swedish vision meetings that were going on for once a week. So we got we got a vision for you in Swedish now as well, once a week, which is a, a real blessing. And with that, I, I pause. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johan M. from Sweden. Christina J. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Christina J. from the state of Washington. And wow, step one shares on this paragraph. Incredible. I was driven to the food for over 50 years, 50 years of trying to figure this thing out, 50 years of this thing yanking me back and forth, from the diet to the starvation to the over-exercising and then back to the food, 50 years of trying to control it. Um, You know, I finally ran out of willpower to diet, to exercise, to over-exercise, and I finally ran out of willpower to white-knuckle, which was just brutal, and I hate it, and I don't ever want to go back to it. But I still felt, um, but I was still left with this thing that I had no control over. I was, and you know what? I I got so numb from the food, I wasn't even afraid anymore. At a certain point in my last uh, round of relapse cycles, was which was about I don't know how many in the last year before I finally found my abstinence. And you know that's scary. That's scary when you get numb around your binges. <clears throat> but standing in front of my last potential binge five months ago. I mean, I had even smelled the thing. I'd gone back to it twice, looking at it, smelling it. And finally a voice said, you can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. And a huge sadness went through me. I slumped over, and I practically crawled back to my desk with my head down. My knees were weak. It reminded me of the time I had to leave my first husband. And I don't know who moved me out of that house. My knees were shaking. I was doing it alone. And this is the same thing that happened. I was doing it alone, but really not. My higher power was walking me back to my desk. Um, Nothing but the grace of God, who then whispered to me when I was sitting there slumped over in my chair, sad that I couldn't use for my uncomfortableness. He said, make a call. I took action. I went outside. I called a fellow. Ten minutes later, after going through it and looking at what was driving it, you know, emotional buildup was one of the things. But, you know, it is, there are reasons obscure as to why we do it, but I definitely had an emotional buildup. But I took action. God gave me the willingness to walk away and take action. Um, It was a miracle of grace. Finally, I took step one. Finally, in that moment of saying, I can't do this, it'll lead me right back, I took step one. I knew I was completely without defense against that first bite. What a gift I received. It was a gift five months ago. It's precious. It's fragile. And I must protect it. And how do I do that? By pressing into my Heavenly Father's grace and his love for me through this program 
this program has brought me to him in a way I've never been with my with my with my God before. Never. And how else do I do it? By getting on these meetings and sharing my experience, strength and hope, offering it to others and also listening to all of you. I can hear my story, I hear my suffering and my humiliation and I feel it to my core now because I remember my experiences through yours. It keeps me in remembrance. I'm very grateful for all of you. Um, you just don't know how much I love you all. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Christina J. from the state of Washington. Liz S. You know, Liz, if you could just give me a minute, Liz, I'm going to let sure. you put that on late note uh, where we are, and then you can share. So we're sharing on the first paragraph on page 24 in the big book, The Fact is Through the First Drink. Thanks, Liz. Go right ahead. It's Liz S. Uh, oh, from, Liz S. Uh, uh, from New Hampshire, where there's too much snow. <laughs> you know, this was a, um, a very important paragraph for me because when I'd finally lost power of choice, which was many, 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 many years. That's what drove me finally to give up and um, to uh, to come to OA. I think the most astonishing thing for me is my memory loss uh, in terms of, of binging and overeating and doing it again and again and again and again and not remembering some of the most humiliating experiences I had uh, in doing so. It didn't matter. Even if I did remember, it didn't matter. Uh, I still continued and continued and continued. And Bill talks later about the fact that we've lost control. We have lost control and um, over um, alcohol, food, completely lost control. And that is exactly what I had. And I had no willpower whatsoever. On some degree, I thought I did. But um, I, I just would have, I would just have amnesia about the, the 10,000 calories that I'd eaten the night before. Uh, it won't, it, you know, it won't burn me this time. It won't hurt me this time. And um, I, I was unable at certain times to bring into my consciousness the sufficient forces of memory and suffering and humiliation of even the day before, let it go the week before. So I can't figure out, I, I don't care why I have this illness or disease. All I care about today is the solution. I will never be a normal eater and I don't want to be because I don't know what a normal, I don't know what normal eating is. I don't know. I have not been a normal eater since probably the age of five. So I need to know and remember that I've lost the power to choose and I've lost the power to control. So I've got to just stay clean and abstinent and know that is the only way because I have no choice once I pick up. I could be gone for five years or more. It has happened, and I don't want it to happen again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Liz S. from New Hampshire. Crystal P. 
Hi, good morning. This is uh, Crystal P from Toronto. Um, for me, it was it was easy to to know that my body was defective. I mean, my body had had betrayed me my whole life. You know, it was it, it wouldn't run, it wouldn't dance. It, uh, all the doctors would get angry at it. It would it couldn't attract anyone. Any you know, um, it wouldn't attract any man. It was it was the reason everybody made fun of me. You know, my body had always betrayed me, but my mind was always my ally. You know, like my mind and I, like that was my, the real me was in my mind and we could solve anything together. Um, so it was so hard for me to accept that my, my mind was defective. And I remember when that happened, I was in program for a couple of months and that was the point at which I decided, okay, I'm really going to be in this. I'm really going to do what my sponsor is telling me to do. And somehow every time I tried to really do it, there was always some reason, like just some reason why just for today, just for this one particular instance, I don't really have to do that thing. And I couldn't believe that but it was the moment when I realized that I cannot trust my mind. My mind will tell me things that are absolutely not true, and, and I will believe it. Um, that was a very frightening moment, and it reminded me of um, this movie that I really like called A Beautiful Mind, you know, where John Nash, who's a... Um, Nobel Prize winning mathematician has schizophrenia and he realizes for the first time that the people he's seeing are an illusion. And it really shocks him because again, for him, like his mind was his, his number one asset. And in that moment, he, he turns to his wife, you know, and say, I don't know. I'm a danger to people because I don't know what's real. And she says to him, trust me, let me tell you what is real. And that's what I had to do in program. You know, I got to the point where I couldn't trust my own mind. The, the enemy was inside me. And I had to turn my life over to you and to God to say, show me what's real. To me, my feelings, they seem real. My thoughts, they seem so real in the moment. So I have to put them through the steps and I have to turn them over to you for you to tell me what is real. And that's what made me willing to do whatever it took was when I realized that um, the enemy was inside me, and I was I was the problem. My mind was the problem, and I have no defense against my mind. So I had to turn it over to you to tell me what was real. And I'm so grateful because the moment I did that, the moment I got out of the way and and my mind was taken out of the picture, it had it no longer had a say in what I did and did not do. That's when I started to recover, and I'm so grateful for that. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Crystal P. from Toronto, Canada. Rick J. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, Rick J. here um, from Cary, North Carolina. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Love this paragraph. Love all the shares. I've just been sitting here just getting so much out of all of them. And, yeah, the um, this paragraph for me, was uh, sort of summed up in one one particular day that I I remember, and this is what keeps me um, really connected with with step one. You know uh, that I am powerless over food that my life had become unmanageable. So in this particular day, I I'd been to the doctor. I was sixty pounds heavier than I am now. My um you know my doctor was um, shocked to see you know the transformation from you know my last visit and you know my cholesterol was around 400 uh, blood pressure high you know I'm I had been going to the gym you know and uh 
and working out extremely hard and then binging constantly. So I, he called me a ticking time bomb and I go home and I, I tell uh, my wife this. Uh, and so she was kind of making a joke out of it. Uh, you know, she would see me eating these things that probably, you know, weren't healthy for me. And she'd be making these little tick, tick, tick noises, you know, well, my son was, was right there and, and dialing in all to this. And, um, so later that night, I, I've got this massive bowl of uh, heavily buttered and salted popcorn and he came in and I noticed that he was crying and he asked me if uh, my doctor knew that I was eating that. And, you know, and it hit me um, like a ton of bricks that how this was affecting him. And I just, I got down to his level. I looked him in the eye and I said, I will never eat like this again. I love you and you don't have to worry about your daddy, you know? So that, that made him feel a lot better. He went to bed and uh, probably an hour goes by and I'm actually uh, on the computer with a huge bag of skills. And he came into the room and I noticed he was almost right on me and I shoved this bag of Skittles up underneath the monitor. And he said, Daddy, are you okay? And um, I'm like, yeah, you know, don't worry, I'm, I'm okay. And he said, well, you promised. And I, I promised and you can always trust me. So here I am hiding this, this bag of Skittles. And uh, I guess I tilted the bag up and one of those Skittles comes you know, rolling out from underneath the monitor. And it just rolls out and falls down onto the little ledge where the keyboard is and keeps rolling and bounces on the floor. And he's just watching this Skittle. And then here comes another one. And then this whole parade of Skittles is just flying out, you know, and rolling out of the monitor. And, you know, and, and he just looked at me and said, clearly you have issues. And for me, I have to remember this. Yes, I'm powerless. My defense must come from a higher power like it tells us, and uh, we get that by accessing the steps and uh, having a spiritual awakening with that, I pass. Thanks, Rick J. from Cary, North Carolina. Ginger C. Good morning, everyone, and happy holidays. And Rebecca, thank you so much for your service. I am Ginger C., recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. So we are without defense against the first drink. That's pretty powerful. I can't, he can, and I'll let him, thank God, because I won't be doing this very long without some power between me and that sugary bite. So my most urgent question of every day and of every minute of that day is where is God? Because relapse begins not with that first bite that enters my mouth. Relapse began a long time ago when I let go of God's hand. I lost the power. I lost that conscious contact. And that's my only defense. So God is everything. And again, how am I having a relationship with this power that I am so dependent upon? How do you conduct your friendship with God? Do you listen for God's whisperings? Do you ask questions and wait for answers? Do you talk to other people about God? Do you watch God in action? And do you spend regular time with God? 
And I love one of these AA speakers that we've been so privileged with the Zoom in this COVID in 2020, so many rooms to tap in. And he's like, okay, people, I'm going to put a camera in your corner. We're going to see how much you're really going to God. You may start 20 minutes in your meditation in your morning, read pages 86 to 88. Then you leave the garage, you get in traffic, and you're flipping people off. Where did God go? We're supposed to have love and tolerance and patience. So I just love this. You know, God is everything or God is nothing. And again, I get to choose that. But I know for a fact, this is one of many addictions for me. And I pray my last breath is a sober breath with none of the addictions winning. And the only way that's going to happen is making this conscious contact freely flowing. Not cutting off the sunlight of the spirit because I don't do good without God. But man, the places that I can go and the things that can happen. And mainly my heart stays soft for all people and I have relationships. I feel love and connection. I cease fighting anything and everybody. I'm just one with many. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. from Colorado. Penny C., you're next. And then Teresa P., and then we'll have time probably for a couple more people. Penny C. Hi. Good morning, Rebecca, and good morning, everybody on the line. My name is Penny C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. This paragraph always reminds me of the promises on page 84 of the big book. It says, we won't, we won't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. So I don't regret being a compulsive overeater, and I don't regret all the, the memories because once I got into 12-step program, um, and and looked at my food and my my compulsive eating history. Um, at least two incidences came to mind, and I asked God every day, "Don't let me, please, God, forget. Don't let me forget the the, the misery of one day, for instance, being on the phone, which in those days was uh, attached to the wall, and it was right across from." the refrigerator, and I was on the phone with my sister, having just frantically gone through every cabinet and every, and tasted every every article of, of food there, going into the refrigerator and looking, searching, literally like a madwoman, for the one thing that I knew would satisfy me. I didn't know what it was, but... I was sure that it was there somewhere, and and not ever finding it. There was a hole. There was a, a hole that I had that I had to, I had to fill somehow. You know, I had little kids, and and I just I just couldn't stop eating. And the memory of that, even though it says here that we we were unable at well, I wasn't able then to remember the times before when. I was so, so sick and from overeating and just couldn't stop no matter what. And so today, because of people in the rooms like all of you and because of wonderful sponsors and mostly because of a higher power who I didn't, I didn't think cared about the fact that I was making myself sick with, with overeating, today I... 
do want to remember, and I do, and I know that it's not willpower, it's God power that causes me to be able to bring back the, the, the remembrance of those times and never want to go there again. And the only way I can do that is to keep doing the steps, keep working with others, um, keep coming to meetings like this, and and just you know being grateful, being grateful, so grateful that I'm a compulsive overeater. Like a lot of others, I thought anybody who said that when I first came, they had to have something wrong with them to say they were grateful to be a compulsive overeater. But I I don't even want to. Think about what my life would be like if I had not come here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Penny C. from Massachusetts. Teresa P. Hi, I'm Teresa P., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And it's such a delight to be here and uh, listen to all these shares on that. No defense against the first bite, because I fought that all my life. One of my very first memories I have is this being a little girl, I don't know, five or so, and being drawn to the refrigerator like a magnet. I mean, I still feel it. And knowing I was not supposed to get into the, that cake there with the colored frosting on it, but I couldn't stop myself and picking at it. And then, of course, hoping that nobody would notice and and just the way of my life, the rest for years and years and years, you know, trying so desperately hard not to and always, always failing. No defense against that first bite. And, and uh, one of my, uh, um, one of the really things that uh, bothered me so much is, you know, getting into that, you know, eating them. You know, I'm not taking care of my kids, you know, and I didn't want to be this bad mom that wasn't paying attention, but, you know, the food was a greater call. And they were, I mean, we're talking about little kids, talking about five, six, and seven, you know, and and I was in the back bedroom, you know, reading and eating. And, uh, and then I had to come out for more food. And I'm over there at the stove and then my little son comes up and he's like about five. And, and I just like, you know, let's get away. You know, I didn't, I hope I didn't say it out loud. I probably did. If not, I'm sure that look on my face said it, you know, and, but I, he was just, just, I'm always talking and I, but I heard the word fire and thank God, you know, I heard it. And I went, fire? What do you mean fire? Well, it started a little fire outside. I'm going out there and his, his sister's only a year older than him. So she's a little six on. She's trying to put this fire out. You know, this, this fire is right next to our gas meter, which leaked. I'm going, oh, my gosh. You know, so God made many miracles that day. We did get the fire out, you know, and do you think that stopped me? No, because I have no defense against this disease. And I had more, you know, more roads to travel. And, uh, and but when I, I got here and I got here, and I'm so, so grateful for that because today, you know, I know I have no defense against the first bite only because I work a program today and tomorrow. Is, and it's always today because tomorrow will be my today, tomorrow. And I have, I, I have no other choice if I want to, you know, remain a part of this world and not dying from the disease of compulsive eating, that hideous, horrible death. And the loss of um, 
family and friends, not because they died, because I'm the walking dead. And today I get to uh, be a part of and what a gift. And I thank you so much, and I pass. Teresa P., before you mute, where are you from? She mute already? Oh, well. We'll catch it next time where Teresa P. is from. Um, so, back to an opportunity to share. On uh, Teresa the, from California. Thank you, Teresa from California. Thank you. Um, we have time for a couple more people to share on page 24, the first paragraph. This is Larry. Jen A. Okay, who, one of you say your name again. I didn't get that. Jackie B. Jen A. B. Okay, Jen, unless there's, yeah, let's go. We're done. Larry K., Jackie B., and probably not Jen for this hour, but we'll see how it goes. Larry K., go right ahead. Oh, uh, thanks so much, um, Rebecca, for your for your service. You know, when I when I read um, about this, what sticks out at me is that that very last sentence that we are without defense against the first drink, and that was true. But what the hope is is that by working the steps, moving through the steps, we are given a defense against the first bite. That's what happens when your heart begins to change as a result of the steps. And, I, and it is an ongoing process, right? But, um, but make no mistake about it, I had absolutely no defense against taking the first bite while I was in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because I had not worked the program. I had not, my, my heart had not changed. My all attitudes, emotions, and ideas that uh, were still dominating me, I was not a new person. We need a rebirth. I had to be reborn. And once I was reborn as a result of the steps, not from uh, imperfection to perfection, I can tell you that much. I'm still a human being with all sorts of emotions, ideas, and addict thinking and all kinds of things. But when we're brought into alignment with God, who created us. I mean, if God either is or God isn't, if God is, he knows that I'm imperfect. This, this higher power, whatever it is, knows that I'm imperfect, created me just that way. and knows that I will forevermore remain imperfect. But God, through this process, through the steps, I have a defense against the first bite. And you know, it's built into my consciousness by practicing these steps to the best of my imperfect ability. It's built in. It's burned down deep into my consciousness. God moves us from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, not a perfect one. It's not a hocus-pocus, magic, pixie-dust type of thing, but it's through practice. It's like an athlete that, um, the way I look at it, that, you know, there was a time when I first learned how to hit a baseball. It was new. It was weird. It was different. And then over time through practice, it was burned into my consciousness and I no longer had to think about it. Like driving a car. You don't have to think about driving a car. This is what, this is a poor way of describing what happens when we move from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. It's burned deep into our consciousness and we do have a defense. That's the hope. I believe, I'll, I'll wrap up with this, Rebecca. I believe in a way why we have such trouble is because we overanalyze, we intellectualize, we try to fight, fight harder, do it better. 
that's not what God surrender is. This, this is the, the easiest process when we just let go and just follow the steps, taking the actions, then you will have a defense and it'll be burned into your consciousness with that. I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay from Illinois, Jackie B. Hi, I'm Jackie B. from the Bronx. Uh, I'm so glad Larry spoke uh, and everybody else did because they, he, they all told my story. Um, and he's to, to, totally right what he just said because, you know, I, I listen, I've left a newborn in the house, you know, in a crib that could have had crib death years ago. I could, I did so many things, it's unbelievable. Food came first. Nobody, not a child, not a husband, not even my own life came first. But I want to tell you what, when it's burned, like, like Larry said, burned in your chest, when you feel your higher power, it's amazing. And I'll give you a, just a recent jolt. I had, you know, because I had to have three implants put in, and yesterday was the last of my three permanent implants of teeth that had to be put in my mouth. And the doctor said to me, you know, listen, did we talk about a guard, a night guard, because you're you're grinding your teeth, I guess because of nerves and frustration or whatever, I grind my teeth. I said, yes, you're going to tell me how much it costs. He says, you know what? I'm not going to charge you anything. I'm going to do these guards for free. Do you know when he walked away, all I did was, Closed my eyes, I said a, a Hebrew prayer, and then I said, I said the third step prayer, and I thank God. Because Monday's getting tight these days. And the point is, is I knew I'm honoring God and my program because some, the way I radiate who I am is what I believe the doctor saw, the recovered Jackie that is there for others and it's, everything has just been coming back to me because I just don't look at the results. I just throw out the action, the action of being there, being of service, telling other people about my story and who I am and what I used to be and to honor that now because I'm abstinent, these permanent, these new implants don't, will not suffer the same injustice when I was active, as long as I worked my program, don't get me wrong, like Larry said, it's a day-to-day reprieve. You just have to keep working it. You have to be of service. You have to be present. And you have to get out of yourself. That's what it is. And then you can be open to hear God's gifts, life's gifts. My sister bought me beautiful yarn for knitting, you know, expensive yarn. I didn't ask for it. She gave it to me as a gift. You know, these days I'm noticing as long as I put myself out there and I tell you that, listen, no matter how bad, how terrible, how manipulative, how self-centered, how victimized I felt, today I work my program every single day. And with that, I am open to hear God's blessing. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for your service. Thanks, Jackie B. from the Bronx. So Jackie B. was our last share. Sorry, Jen A., we didn't have time for, to squeeze you in, but maybe we'll hear you in the second hour or another day. Um, so it's time for me to say thank you, everyone, 
for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, December 22nd. Let's see, am I doing this right? Yeah. Uh, 2020, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 16,038. That's 16038. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Crystal P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.